Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. And amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, we're talking about end times this morning. We have a couple of services that we already shared on this subject. And really, the Lord laid it upon my heart for uh, really at a time like this, the things that we're going through experiencing right now. Uh, with COVID-19 and all that's taking place in the world with rioting and just uh, what's taking place in basically every dimension uh, of our lives. We're living in times right now that we've never seen before, but praise God, we believe that we're on the right side. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're the redeemed of the Lord, and we know we've read the back of the book. We win, praise God. We've got the victory, and we win. But there's some things I want to bring to light this morning. I believe that will be beneficial and helpful to us to really motivate us to really, really focus on the things that are important in our lives. So a quick review. The end is near. This is number three. First of all, as always, we teach when we teach on the subject of eschatology or end times, we teach that number one, it's important to plan as if Jesus isn't coming for a long period of time. But secondly, live as if he's coming today or tonight. Uh, secondly, we talked about the fact that COVID-19 maybe is not a sign because rapture doesn't really need a sign, but it's a forerunner, a forerunner of things to come. In other words, the way life can possibly be in the tribulation period, that one seven-year stretch. So we have a taste of it just by seeing what we're going through right now. It tells us that, look, the government can take over. You can have a uh, Radio frequency identification and all that. You can't buy or sell or do anything unless you have the mark of the beast. And we'll talk about that. But lessons we've learned from this is that everybody's vulnerable. doesn't matter who you are, what your race is, what your ethnicity is. Everybody is vulnerable. Uh, no one is exempt. We also talked about the fact that there's the uncertainty of life. Our lives but a vapor. It appears for a little while, vanishes away. What's important is the things that are eternal and long-lasting. Number three, we talked about our utter dependence on God. We need him more than anything else or anyone else. He's greater than all and knows all. We need to look to him, especially at a time like this, because he's greater than it all. Also, we talked about the fact that um, salvation is the most important thing. Nothing is more important than being ready. Should he come tonight or should we depart this realm through death? We need to be born again. We need to be ready. We need to be saved by the grace of God. We said humility is the key. If we want to be exalted, then we've got to humble ourselves before God as a person, as a people, as a nation, as a church. Humble ourselves before God, and what will he do? He will lift us up and exalt us. And beloved, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, and we know that. And it's out there right now. It's never been more evident than it is right now today. And if we can't see it, there is something wrong. We're spiritually blinded. It's not flesh and blood. It's not politicians. It's not even... A Anything's in a natural. It is the powers of darkness being unleashed upon the world today because the enemy knows his time is short. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. Many believe he'll come this fall, but you know what? I believe there has to be a revival before he comes, and there can be, but still there's time to have that revival before he comes. But whatever, we need to be ready every day of our lives is what's important. Some of the signs that tell us that this is the end 
uh, of this period, this age that's coming. Uh, number one, the major sign of all, the rest, restoration of Israel. That's the number one sign, the main sign. We couldn't talk about these things before, but now we can because Israel is a nation. Jerusalem is the capital. They've gone back to their homeland and also the day of the latter rain. And we talked about the desert is blossomed as a rose and other things with the temple and now that sort of thing. But we talked about that. Uh, also, we talked about the fact that uh, God's 7,000-year plan indicates that we're at the end of the age. We talked about the moral decline that we're experiencing in our country right now and really around the world. That's a part of the end time uh, sign or message. Uh, the increase in terrorism around the world, like we've never seen before, is another sign. The 200 million man army is another sign. We talked about that because that can happen right now because back when this was stated, when it was prophesied, there weren't 200 million people living on the planet. But then, of course, we talked about the fact that knowledge would increase and travel would increase. Daniel chapter 12 talks about that. That happened in our lifetime like we've never seen before. And we see knowledge is continuing to increase rapidly right now. So we're sitting at a place right now where we know the end is near as far as the return of our Lord and um, shifting back over to Jewish time. We'll talk about that in a moment. But look at Matthew chapter 24 and look at verses 21 and 22 as we continue our study. Because we believe... I believe, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. You can have your own view. I believe in a pre-trib rapture for this reason. The, the, the seven-year period called the tribulation period is the wrath of God, the vengeance of God being poured out upon the earth, and the church has not been appointed to wrath. So it's important to know that. And also Jesus said what? It says the days of Noah. It says the days of Lot. And Noah was removed from the wrath and so was Lot removed from the wrath before the wrath or judgment of God fell. So the church will be removed from the wrath of God before it falls. Not in the middle of it or not at the end of it. But Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation such, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. Notice that statement. Not from the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened. There should, not, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. I know there are those that say, well, AD 70, when all this was fulfilled and, and all that took place. But you know what? We're going to talk about today. We'll show you none of those things have been fulfilled. None of the things that talk about uh, the plagues and the bowls judgment of Revelation have taken place. Because when they take place, when you see these things, you'll know. It hasn't happened yet. When they take place, it's not going to be easy to live upon this planet. So, what is the Great Tribulation? It's a period of seven years made up of three sevenfold judgments of God poured out upon the earth. You've got your seven seals that are going to be open. You've got your seven trumpets that are going to be blown. And you've got your seven bowls or vials that are going to be open as well. It will be the darkest time this world has ever seen in the history of all mankind it'll be the most horrific thing man has ever experienced upon the planet comparatively speaking you could say this if you put together all the wars that we've encountered the plagues we've encountered the famines and the droughts and all the things that we've gone through on this planet and combine them put them together and that seven year period can't even compare to what's going to happen if you've ever seen the movie andreas fault 
nothing like what they're going to see here. So just to let you know, in the book of Revelation chapter 6, I want to answer a question that some people have. Some people think that this is the wrath of Satan or the Antichrist during the seven-year period called the Tribulation. But that's not true. As a matter of fact, let's look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. It tells us what it is. And he said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? This is the wrath of the Lamb. And then look at verse, uh, chapter 16 and verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials or the bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. Obviously, if you believe scripture, it's not the wrath of the Antichrist. <clears throat> it's the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb. Now, this period called seven-year tribulation period is also called Daniel's 70th week. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, we have this prophecy. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Notice it's upon the people of God, the Jewish people. Notice it's upon Jerusalem, the great city. So we're talking about a shift. The shift is from Gentile time back to Jewish time, to fulfill the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy. Seventy weeks or seventy years, 490 years have already come, 483 have come and gone. The last seven years, there's an insertion of the church age in between. The last seven years are yet to be fulfilled. And to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and, re and to build Jerusalem to the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troubled times. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And to the end of the war of desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto consummation, and that that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So here we have Daniel's prophecy. Everything took place for 483 years. Exactly it was prophesied. But something happened after the Messiah was cut off. Jewish time ended. Gentile time began. And for 2,000 years, we've been living in the time of the Gentiles. But when the last Gentile comes in, we understand that we're going to go back to Jewish time to finish the last seven years of that prophecy. And how do we know it hasn't already happened? Well, because when you see these things, you'll know they haven't happened yet. But first, look at Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7 to let you know this is all shifting back to Jewish time and the Jewish people. Alas, for that day is great. Tribulation is also called the great day. So that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Israel. But he shall be saved out of it. All of, all of Israel is going to be saved at the end of the tribulation period 
when they see Jesus the Messiah coming to rescue them from their enemies. So it's the time of Jacob's trouble. But there's another thing that is important to point out at this time. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, we have these words prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Notice in the last part of that verse there, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, shift over to Luke's gospel where Jesus quoted this when he was in the temple, in the synagogue and preaching. They handed him the book of Isaiah. It was open to that place where we just read. And here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He repeats it. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty the bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, wait a minute. Jesus, you forgot something. And the day of vengeance of our God. Well, why did he? Because he didn't come for vengeance. He didn't come to pour out wrath. He didn't come to bring judgment upon the earth. He came to judge the devil and his bunch, but he did not come for those reasons. He came to redeem us from our fallen state, to preach the good news of the gospel, that he would die for our sins and pay our ransom. But he left out the day of the vengeance of our God, because that was going to happen at another time. It wasn't for the time that he came to redeem us. He is reserved in the heavens until the time of restitution of all things, at which time he will come back to save Israel after the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy is fulfilled. Now, what I want us to do is go to Revelation chapter 16, and beginning at verse 1, we're going to be a couple of verses here, but we're going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to see some things about one segment of the wrath and judgment of God. And if this doesn't open our eyes, I don't know what will. Verses 1 and 2, Revelation 16. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials or the bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vow upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Stop right there. What is this first bowl judgment going to do? It's going to manifest in sores in people's lives who took the mark of the beast. And we're talking about they'll be covered with festering sores on their bodies. Now, I thought this through because it states the mark of the beast as well as the sores beginning to fester or manifest. So, I think it's logical to say, is it possible that where they took the mark of the beast, the palm of the hand, the forehead, wherever it might be inserted into someone's body, Right there, it began to manifest first and then fester. <clears throat> In other words, it would begin to grow, begin to spread over their entire body until their body is covered with these festering sores, painful sores that they can't recover from 
No matter what medical science can offer. Why? Because when it's judgment, the judgment of God, there is nothing to provide a cure for it. So, first thing we see here is this happening. Can we ever think about a period of time when this has happened? That people took a mark of the beast, that people experienced these festering sores all over their body that they couldn't be healed from? I don't think so at this time. Look at verse 3. The second thing. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Well, think about that for a moment. If you go to Revelation in chapter 8, you will notice in verses 8 and 9 that a third of sea life has already died. And the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. So in this second bowl we see the rest of this animal life in the sea is destroyed as all the waters turn into blood. When did that ever happen? Verses 4 through 7. The third vial, or the third bowl. What do we see here? And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters, this is the angel over the sea, say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. In other words, it was a righteous act of judgment. The rivers and their fresh water springs turn to blood. Not only do they agree, but even all of heaven, the altar of heaven agrees. I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Notice, from the altar of heaven, as well as from the angel of the sea, they all say this is a righteous act of judgment. Why? Because these are the ones that killed the prophets, all the messengers that God sent, and now they're being judged for what they did. And so once again, we see this happening, and we can ask ourselves, has this ever happened in anyone's lifetime up until this point? No, but in this seven-year period, especially this is the last part of it, the last three and a half years, the wrath of God, not the wrath of the Antichrist, not the wrath of the devil, but the wrath of God and the wrath of the Son or the Lamb is going to be poured out upon the earth like this world has never seen before. Look at the next one, verses 8 and 9. In verses 8 and 9 it says, The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the Son, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Now, how many times have you heard it said, if the sun was a little bit further away from us, we'd freeze to death. If the sun was just a little bit closer to us, we'd be burned up. Well, when this wrath of God, this vengeance of God is poured out upon the sun, it's going to have power to scorch men. With a burning heat. And these men are going to not repent. They're going to blaspheme God. 
Why? Because I'm sure they're thinking, well, you've got to do something about this, but they don't believe in God. Why are they appealing to God now? Now, what do they do? They curse God. They blaspheme God. They speak out against God. So once again, let's keep this in mind. These last seven years are not for the church. And to be honest with you, even saints, that get, people that get saved during this time, they're going to suffer some things because they refuse to accept Christ beforehand. So if you're listening and you have yet to accept Christ, this is what's in store for those that refuse to do so in their lifetime. So the next one, verses 10 and 11. Once again, we see the wrath of God being poured out. The fifth angel poured out his vow upon the sea of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain. In other words, their pain level increased and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. This is almost unbelievable that rather than appeal to God, rather than turn to God, rather than repent and say, I humble myself before you. My goodness, I get it. Even Nebuchadnezzar is to be commended because when he finally realized that he had nothing to do with all of his success, but God did, he finally came to his senses. He finally repented and said, I was wrong. Only you get the glory, not me. Beloved, we live, live at a time right now when it's hard for people to humble themselves before God, take responsibility for their own actions and their own lives. But you know what? The only way that we're going to have the grace of God and be lifted up is by humbling ourselves before him. And to be honest with you, I believe it begins with the church. Judgment begins in the church or the house of the living God. And we as a church need to rise up and take our place and do our part, humble ourselves before God. We don't want to experience anything like this for our loved ones. We want them to come to know Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. And it's not a scare tactic. This is reality. This is going to happen. And if anything, COVID-19 makes us realize it's possible. One little tiny little germ so minute can shut down a society. It may be political and we believe there's a lot of politics behind it. Nevertheless, it's a reality. A small little germ can shut down a society, can bring a nation as, and a world to a halt. Whenever you ever seen things like this happening in our society, whether it's no sports, no this, no that, not coming together for church, and all these other things that we've gone through, this is minor compared to that time. And remember, as it was in the days of Lot and Noah, they were eating, drinking, marrying. You don't see that happening here. Not at all. In those seven years, you're not going to have life as usual. Fire's going to come down from heaven, famines, earthquakes, all those things are going to take place even in Israel at Jerusalem when the two prophets are there calling down fire from heaven if anybody tries to destroy what they're trying to do. That's not normal living. This is the wrath of God. This is the vengeance of God. This is God just unleashing everything upon the people on the earth for those seven years, not the church who hasn't been appointed to wrath. Okay, now look at verses 12 through 16. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. That hasn't happened yet. And that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits, the spirits of devils working miracles, 
which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. What's happening? The Euphrates River dries up. There's God is making a way for them to march on, to directly march on toward Armageddon to their own demise and defeat. This is going to happen. We're talking about, as the scripture says, multitudes surrounding Jerusalem, surrounding Christ with a mind that they think that they can absolutely over, over, let's say, take him and destroy him and overcome him, yet they are not going to win. These demonic spirits use deception, deceiving all these kings into thinking this is the solution to overcoming Christ's reign upon the earth. Not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. They, they think they're going to overthrow Israel. They're going to overthrow Jerusalem. They're going to wipe them off the planet during this particular time. And it's not going to happen. They're marching on toward Armageddon. And lo and behold, when they get there, coming out for the second coming, not the rapture, but the second coming, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to deliver Israel and Jerusalem from the hands of all the enemy. And that's when they'll see that Jesus is Lord of all. Look at 17 through 21. Another thing that hasn't happened. And the seventh angel poured out his vow into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. There were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and every island fled away the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, which is 130 pounds, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Sometimes when you look at your weather forecast and you see some of these, um, you know, weathermen or women saying that the hailstone was the size of a golf ball. And they think that that's huge. Can you imagine 130 pounds of it? Can you imagine earthquakes that bring cities down? Once again, Andreas' fault has nothing to do with that. It's just child's play compared to that. We're talking about an earthquake that will just create so much damage upon the face of the earth. You talk about coming to a halt. These things have not happened. We've not seen those things happen. We're not talking about one little earthquake here or there or wherever. We're talking about a massive one like the world has never seen before. And we're just talking about the bowls, the last seven bowls. We didn't do the seals or the trumpets. These are just the last bowls. I wanted us to bring, up, uh, bring us up to the place where we see this fierceness of the wrath of God once again. It's not the devil. It's the wrath of God upon the earth. When he finally says, enough is enough. The only way Israel, Orthodox Judaism is going to be turned around is when they see these things happen. And at the end of it, when Armageddon is set, 
Jesus comes in the clouds in the sky to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives. In the process, he defeats every enemy, praise God, and sets up his kingdom. Now, I know this next section that I got here might be a little bit weird to, to hear the title that I gave it. It's called Eat or Be Eaten. Take your pick. Okay? In Revelation 19, see, the Great Tribulation ends with the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus returns in the power and the glory of his might. And what does he do? He protects Israel. It's a stupendous fight like the world has never seen before. He wins. You think about this. How dumb can the devil be? He has tried from the beginning of time to destroy the work of God. He's tried to exalt himself to be God. He tried to overthrow God. He tried to destroy Christ when he was born into the world. And the list goes on and on. Finally had him crucified on a cross. But lo and behold, he was raised from the dead. He's alive right now, praise God, and defeated all the powers of darkness. But still he doesn't stop. He still tries to do what he thinks he can possibly do. Well, two things happen with the Lamb during this seven-year tribulation period. I want to point out. One taking place in heaven, and one takes place upon the earth. In verses 5 through 9, Revelation chapter 19, let's look at this. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. What's happening in heaven? The marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So in these first few verses, 5 through 9, what do we see taking place? The Lamb is having a wedding reception. The lamb, as he said before he left, I'm going to eat, the, uh, drink the fruit of the vine with you in, my, in heaven. And so that's what's taking place. Aren't you glad to be numbered among those that are eating, dining at the supper table of the lamb, the marriage feast of the lamb? You think you've been to a wedding reception, a wonderful, beautiful wedding reception with all kinds of wonderful things to eat and so on? We've not seen anything yet. We've not seen anything like this that will take place. But there we are, the saints, with him in glory, celebrating his marriage, celebrating a wedding reception. Well, that's taking place on heaven. What's taking place on earth? Well, let's look at it. Look at verse 17. On earth, it's the wrath of the Lamb, not the marriage. And guess what? People aren't eating. People are being eaten. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, Unto all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Which supper would you rather be invited to? The marriage supper of the Lamb, where you eat? Or this great supper, where you are eaten? Well, how do you know that's on the menu? Well, let's read. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great, 
And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's why I entitled it, Eat or Be Eaten. These are realities. These are not scare tactics. I know people preach on these lines, and some people say, well, that's hellfire and brimstone, but these are realities. These things are soon to happen. And it's time, I believe, that the church wake up and recognize it's not about building buildings. It's not about all the things that we think in the natural that we're getting accomplished. It's about reaching out to the hearts and souls of people to let them know the day of the Lord is at hand. And it's not just a deathbed conversion that you want. Give him your life now and serve him. Live for him. Walk with him. Honor him. And if you're a child of God that's out there right now, maybe you've got somehow, let's say, um, weaken your faith and you're not walking with God as you should or maybe as you once were, it's time to refocus. It's time to come back. It's time to get on fire. It's time to get set ablaze, to recognize what's going on, to look around us and see what's taking place and how the forces of darkness are trying to manifest themselves here upon the earth to bring scare and fear and worry and anxiety into people's lives and to recognize that the God that we serve is the great God Almighty who is greater than all these forces who gave us power and authority upon this earth to serve Him and live for Him. Look, there's a great escape. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter uh, 21. Look at these verses in 34 through 36. Take heed to yourselves. Notice, take heed to yourself. You're responsible for yourself, not somebody else. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with what? Surfeiting, drunkenness, the cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth, Watch ye therefore and pray always. Why? That you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So in other words, you're an escapist. You don't want to go through all that. No one should want to go through all that. We want to escape all that. And Jesus said, pray that you're worthy to escape all that. Well, how are we going to escape all that, Lord? We're going to escape it only one way. By being born again. And then... Should Jesus come, we're raptured into church. If he doesn't come in our lifetime, we escape it because we've made Christ the Savior and Lord of our lives and we don't suffer eternal fire. Look at Matthew 24, 22 from the living, New Living Translation once again to show you just how awful it is. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Now I know what some people are thinking. But once you get saved in the tribulation period, don't you have authority over all the powers of darkness? Don't you have the power of the name of Jesus to rise up and overcome? Well, let's read about it and see what it says in Revelation chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, 
and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life or the book of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear to hear, let him hear. What's he saying? Saints won't have power over the devil during that time. The devil will have power over the saints at that time. You see, that's a judgment that takes place as a result of people not accepting Christ before they entered in to escape it. So it's important that we recognize that we just can't fall back on that and just say, well, I'm just going to use my authority at that time and I'll be able to do whatever I want to do. No, you're not. Not going to happen. Look at the Revelation chapter 20. What happens to those that refuse to take the mark of the beast? And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So we see here, once again, that they are martyred. But they do reign with him because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. So what's the point? During that seven year tribulation period, when, uh, let's say, the rapture takes place and all the news media broadcasting all kinds of things. Aliens came and that sort of thing. No, some say it's the rapture of the church and all that's going on during that particular time. And, and maybe you were someone who was in church, but you really didn't give your heart to Jesus and you knew, uh-oh, mom's gone. My friends that told me about Jesus are gone. Here I am left behind. Uh-oh, I remember what they told me. This is not a good time to be alive right now. All this is going to happen. I'm not going to take that mark of the beast. If I take that mark of the beast, I'll suffer the wrath of God. But if I take the mark of the beast, I'll be able to eat and drink and, and live. What do I do? You're in a dilemma right now. What do you do? It's a good question. What do you do? You suffer the wrath of God or suffer the wrath of the beast? At that time, because you didn't take the mark of the beast, you'll suffer. You'll be martyred. But at least you know you'll live and reign with him throughout eternity because you refuse to take the mark of the beast. You know, beloved, once again, these are realities. Absolutely realities. And they're going to take place. And it's never been closer than the time we're living in right now. The fact that the temple in waiting is ready to go. The fact that there's two red heifers that are found that still found kosher as far as what I could see. Imagine that. How close we're getting. Some people think he'll come this fall feast. I don't see a revival taking place another before that, so I'm, I'm leery as far as that goes. I would never set a date. We believe he'll come during a fall feast, during the Feast of Trumpets, because that's how all the other feasts were fulfilled. So it could be soon. Why do we want to wait to the end? I'm saying this as a reminder to all of us, no matter what you think, what you believe, what your political party is, what your gender is or whatever it is time to collect our thoughts and really focus on what we believe we got times right now people are burning bibles in our society today and getting away with it allowed to do all that burning flags burning revival or burning bibles and everything and they don't want us to preach and teach the gospel these are unprecedented times not just because of covid19 but because of the ugliness of the powers of darkness that are manifesting in the earth that we're living in today and yet, what do we got believers doing? Well, I, I, I'm rather be a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a this. I'm a that. You know what? It's time to set all that aside. It's time 
to get on our face before God and say, what do you want? Not what do I want? What do you want? I'm with you. I side with you. Look at the book of Revelation chapter 20. This is so, so important for us to hear. This goes to show you just the audacity of Satan. It goes to show us just how horrible he is. It shows how dumb he is too. And we've already known that. But because Jesus said that he was wise. In other words, he used wisdom to try to do what he thought he could do, which is overthrow God. He continues to the very end. He started with deception. He will end with deception. He's using deception right now. He's using the media for deception. He's trying to get people diverted away from the Bible and what God said to what man's saying on TV. And no matter what news station that you listen to, he's trying to divert us away from what God said. So people will sign up with what people want, what people think, and not what the Bible says. Beloved, he doesn't stop. Let's read it. When the thousand years are expired, where's Satan for a thousand years? In the abyss for one thousand years. Where's Christ reigning on his throne, the throne of David in Jerusalem? What's government? It's on his shoulders. Isaiah, it's on his shoulders. He's governing the whole world. He's governing the earth. People are abiding by his laws and commandments. Okay? Probably the Ten Commandments are going to live by. Forced to live by. Satan shall be loose out of his prison after 1,000 years. Which I know is a day to the Lord. But it's still 1,000 years. Shall go out to deceive. He started with deception. He ends with deception. Deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog. To gather them together to battle. Now notice this. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people. How could you live with Christ for a thousand years and rebel and turn against him? Where is he collecting all these people? When Jesus said there's more that are out there that love darkness more than the light, I guess he was right. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compass the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet already are there, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Wow. He started with deception. He ends with deception. The deception is designed to take people to the lake of fire with him. He figures if I'm going there for an eternity, I want you to go there for an eternity with me. And I will take as many as I can. I'm going to make you think life on earth is all there is. He's going to make us think this is the right way to go. This is the right path to take. Fill up your life with all the joys of your passions, your desires, desires of your flesh. Live the way you want to live. Man, if it feels good, go ahead and do it. Be a God unto yourself. Let your own mind be your own God. Think the way you want to think. And we see some of our 
celebrities, and we see a lot of people that are uh, in, in the public eye thinking that their views are so amazing and so wonderful because they're really concerned about all humanity. They want you to have the best life ever on this planet. But they don't know they fall victim to the deception themselves. Not realizing that the only way you're going to have the best life is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the only way to live. It's in him we live and move and have our being. Beloved, it's a time to plan. Yes, as if he's not coming. But it's a time to live like he's coming tonight. To get set ablaze. To get on fire. To once again get stirred up within our souls. Our hearts reaching out. Fueled up. Fired up. Sacrificing before God so that the fire can fall and the glory will manifest. It's time to turn away from Democrat, Republican, gender, ethnicity. All these ideas of men. There's a way that seems right to a man. The end is the way of death. You might not like who God puts in as your next president. But I'll tell you something right now. It's up to us as believers to get on our face before God to make sure the one gets in there that he wants and not what we want. Not what people want. It's not about that. It's not about gender. Oh, if you choose a woman, then that's going to be the best thing. Beloved, like never before, my appeal is this. Let's get back to the book. Let's get back to the Bible. Look, those wells aren't going to be saved in the end. And we talk about lives that matter. Does a life in a womb matter? And when we vote for people that want to take human lives and we think nothing of it but save the whales, something is wrong with our mentality. We're talking about demon forces unleashed upon the earth like never before to make people think that all this is okay. It's okay to walk the walk you want to walk, to take the path you want to take. No, it's not. Men were deceived. Look at Romans chapter 1. Remember to see because they didn't acknowledge God that he is God. And you know what? In our society today, more and more and more, like never before over this past 20 years, have we seen evil just manifest itself the way it is. But it's happening right now, right in front of our eyes. Church, let's rise up. Church, let's wake up. Church, let's get together. When we are able to come back together and get together, we will. we're going to have some seasons of praying on our faces before God, believing God to do what only he can do to turn back the hand of the enemy, to usher in the glory of God and bring the soon return of our Lord. Amen. Well, praise God. I pray you're inspired, enlightened. I'm ready. Are you ready? Are we ready to rise up, take our place, be the church that he's called us to be, a bright, shining church. He's coming for a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And we all want to be a part of that. So, Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for encouraging words of inspiration that will help us focus, dear Father God, on the things that matter to you and not to us. What you want done in this earth. How we sacrifice ourselves for you. Our bodies presented as living sacrifices for you. Our minds being renewed to your word to sacrifice the way we think so we can have the way you think. We want what you want. 
that we crucify this flesh, that we sanctify this soul, that we present our bodies to you as living sacrifices, that we surrender our hearts to you so that we'd be on fire and set ablaze to serve you fervently in spirit, carrying out your will. Setting aside all the media presents that's inspired by demonic influences, only being influenced by your word and what it says, rising up with courage, to take a stand for you in this day in which we live. We believe to see the glory of God. And we will see the glory of God in great display upon this earth. Even be so blessed among us as we honor, reverence, and respect you and your holy word and your holy spirit in this assembly of believers now and forevermore. And Father, we'll give you all the glory you deserve for it in Jesus' name. Amen.